Well, guys, it's great to be able to come before you to share God's word with you uh, again this morning. Uh, you had me earlier on in the summer, and you probably weren't expecting to see me again so soon, but here I am. So uh, I'll admit this time around, I had a bit of a hard time landing on a passage. I really wanted to be able to remind you all of some truths that we already know and we've been taught here in Boundless, um, but to think about how we could apply those truths in a fresh way. Um, So as I was doing this, I got some wise counsel from my wife and landed on the topic of friendship. So for the title of this morning's lesson is Cultivating Biblical Friendships. So whether you've been here in Boundless for three years or three months, we can always use reminders of why and how Uh, we should cultivate vibrant, life-giving friendships with one another. And as we also are nearing the start of the fall semester, uh, those of you who've been around a while know, um, even as Rich just mentioned, that he'll be teaching us next week, and he always encourages us to practice and model biblical hospitality ahead of new students coming into our ministry. And then we're going to be hearing from Pastor Clay about um, his If you only hear from me once, this is what I would say to you, message. So my hope is that our study of friendship this morning will serve as a motivation for us to pursue deeper, uh, maturing friendships and relationships here in Boundless and beyond uh, this coming semester. So our friendships in Christ Church are essential to living the Christian life and bringing Christ's glory. In saving us, he restored our fellowship with God and our ability to fellowship peacefully and meaningfully with one another. Every single person is made by God with this deep longing and craving for rich and lasting friendships. But because of sin, this cannot be fulfilled apart from the work of Christ. And we know from God's word and from our own experiences that relationships in the world can suffer constant turmoil because they don't have a solution for lasting peace. But because we know and love Christ, our relationships need to be starkly different from the world's. They are founded on um, shaky, they're on shaky foundations, things like common hobbies, interests, goals, um, and maybe simply just from proximity. Um, There's nothing really unifying you there. These friendships are easily disintegrated from sin and pride. But ultimately, Christ intends for us to have our friendships be satisfying and for them to flourish. And that means they're meant to be a visible evidence of the fellowship we enjoy with Christ right now. And to model and to be a foretaste of the unhindered fellowship we'll enjoy with him in the new heavens and new earth. In Psalm 133, David wrote, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. He understood that deep abiding friendships is one of God's greatest gifts to his people. It's indescribably sweet and a constant source of refreshing and comfort for our souls. I remember first coming to Christ during my time in college, and my heart greatly rejoiced that unity could be found with all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds due to our shared love for Christ. But in God's kindness in the church, he's given me deeper friendships with a number of brothers, And these are brothers who know my heart. They draw me out. They persevere alongside me and forgive me when I sin against them, continuously loving me 
at cost to themselves. And this spurs me on to keep doing the same for them. And so over time, this just keeps driving us deeper and deeper in our relationships, and it becomes exactly what Psalm 133 describes. So this joyful fruit of friendship will only come by sacrificial love and deep knowledge of one another. It takes time and it takes effort, especially as we still battle the flesh. So in our lesson today, the question we're seeking to answer is how do I cultivate deep, enduring, joy-filled friendships? To do this, we're going to identify seven marks of biblical friendship and consider how we can improve our practice of them. Essentially, we want to learn how can I grow in becoming the friend to others that I want them to be to me. So for our first mark, we have love. You can turn in your Bibles to John 15, verse 12. Hours before Christ's crucifixion, he was with his disciples and he said to them, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. In the all-time greatest display of love, Christ laid down his life for his friends, for the people the Father had given him out of the world. He showed his love for the twelve and for us, and that while we were sinners, he died for us. Though we were sinners, rebels, and slaves of sin, his life, death, and resurrection were intended to reveal the infinite and inexpressible love that God has for us. And as we learn to imitate Christ in his love, love becomes the crowning virtue of our Christian life. It encompasses everything we are to be as friends. The other marks of friendship that we'll explore today are all really ways of displaying love. So at the most basic level, it's all we need to know to cultivate deeper friendships. We need to think, Christ has sacrificially loved and served me, even to the point of death on a cross. So to be the, a true friend to others, I should start sacrificially loving them. And in this way, Christ reorients how we think about friendship. We realize it's not about us. It's about being a friend rather than gaining friends or what we can get out of the friendship. Every way that Christ shows his love to us, we should be bending that back out towards others. And if we're going to do it successfully, we must put on a heart of humility a heart that forgets self. We should pursue our friends wholly for their personal welfare, just as Christ did. And we want to see their joy and faith in Christ abound. That's love and friendship, and it's fundamental, and it's encompassing of who we are to be as friends. For our second mark, I have compassion and sympathy. Oh, sorry, guys. There we go. Sorry about that. Um... So we have, I have compassion and sympathy, and I put these two together because the Bible describes them uh, a bit differently, but they really are so closely related. Compassion is described as that deep-felt aching you have when you observe someone in their plight, whether that comes from their own sinful desires and actions or just its grievous effects on life in general. In the Gospels, Jesus is described as expressing this kind of compassion numerous times towards the crowds and the people who he preached to and that he was serving. And in our friendships, we must view our friends in light of what God teaches about the devastating effects of sin. 
Sin deceives. It literally seeks to kill our friends. Sin is what sets them on a path of inner turmoil with things like depression, anxiety, and bitterness. So for the Christian, we know sin is defeated, but it still intends to suck all the joy from our friend's experience of life. So when we see our friend stuck in sin, or they're in the battle against it, we must call its effects to mind, and this should cause us to have compassion on them, longing for their faith to be restored. Sympathy, like compassion, also feels for our friends, but it goes beyond just this, this aching and this yearning for them, but to putting ourselves in their shoes. Hebrews 4.15 states, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Christ came and lived in the same sinful flesh that we carry with us in order to sympathize with us. So whether our friends are struggling with discouragement or stubborn pride, we must put ourselves in their shoes. One of the ways that I do this is by calling to mind my own trials and temptations. Every temptation that we face is common to man. If your friend is suffering anguish because they fall into that same sin again, it's usually not best just to rattle off a solution, think, I know how to deal with this, or we've talked about this before. Try to feel for them. It's as simple as saying, brother, sister, I know how you feel. I know this is hard for you. You don't have to say much, but in your heart, identify with them, knowing the struggle for yourself. However, there also can be moments where, we're not, where we don't feel equipped to sympathize. Maybe your friend has suffered a catastrophic loss in their family, and the only person you've lost was your grandmother, who lived to a ripe old age. What do you do? Don't get tied up in having had the same exact experience. We've all experienced grief. We've all experienced hopelessness. We share the same hearts and same weaknesses. And keeping this in mind can still help us. And you can simply say, I see how painful this burden is for you, but I'm here for you. For some of us, this comes natural. For others of us, we have to work much harder. But true friendship will show this kind of sympathy. Next, uh, for our third mark, we'll be looking at understanding. So, understanding. Proverbs 25 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep waters, but a man of understanding draws it out. Friendships become vibrant with deep knowledge of one another's hearts. And at first, this usually takes time in drawing each other out. Christ shows his care for us by understanding us. And in fact, more than we even understand ourselves. Psalm 139, in Psalm 139, David exclaims, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. It's God who knows the thoughts and intentions of our heart, and he can reveal them to us. In Hebrews 4.12, we see that God draws out these thoughts and intentions through our interactions with his word. And for us to become close friends, we need to discern what is it that makes people tick? What makes them rejoice? What are their burdens? What are their aspirations of how Christ would use them in their life? But to do this, there is one barrier that I've seen um, can really hold us up, and it's superficiality. A lot of you here, I know, are exceptional at pressing past this, past this, but in our culture, 
we're trained to be very superficial. We don't speak to people or listen to them in a way that gets to their heart. And we, we just don't do this often enough. We run the routine of, hi, how are you? Good. How was your week? Good. How was your job? Good. How's class? Good. Maybe one of those goods will be a great once in a while. And then we turn to things like, did you see that latest viral video? Or did you watch the game last night? Did you see that new movie? Or maybe uh, times like these, did you see that Taylor Swift concert? Uh, what she did at her last concert? And I'm not dogging on these things as bad in and of themselves. But the point is that we can get in a rut, even in our closest friendships, and not get to the heart. So I want you to think about if there's anyone in your life who you spend a good amount of time around, maybe even one of your better friends, but do you still not know what God is teaching them, how he's testing them this week, how he's answering their prayers, what their sin struggles are, or what their burdens are? Make it your purpose to discover these things. And as the Proverbs said, we often have to take the time to draw these things out of one another. Um, but it brings much needed depth to our friendships. And maybe you try hard to practice this kind of understanding, but your friend is just a hard nut to crack. Don't be discouraged, because as you show sacrificial love and constancy towards them, the Lord can begin to open even the most closed-up soul. Or if you're thinking, man, I just really struggle in conversations sometimes. I'm not good at drawing people out and really getting to the bottom of who they are. That's you. Just take time. Think about what kind of questions do you like to be asked? Which ones help you express yourself the most? Which ones don't? Also, you can think of someone who you know is strong in this area and just listen carefully when you're around them. Watch them. See how they word their questions intentionally. Listen, uh, look for things also like their tone and their body language. And this will help you to become better at understanding those around you. That's it for our third mark. And so we look now to the fourth mark of biblical friendship, transparency. This is a lot like understanding, um, but it takes things to another level. For some of you, just the word transparency might make you shudder. You mean people have to know me completely, like all the good and all the bad too? If we're going to get deep with one another, we have to be honest and we have to be transparent. Back in John 15, after Christ describes uh, true love to his disciples, he says this to them, No longer do I call you slaves, but I call you friends. For the slave does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you my friends, for all that I've, I've called you my friends, for all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Christ revealed himself totally to his friends. And in the context, he's speaking of fulfilling his mission to reveal God to man. But one implication that we can draw from his calling his disciples servants or slaves who are friends is that they were as close to him as it got. He had fully shared with them his life, his heart, and he hadn't held anything back. And if we want vibrant, fruitful friendships, we, and if we want to spur one another on to overcoming sin, maturing in Christ, we can't hold anything back. It's going to take full transparency. And when I was young in the faith, total transparency made me squirm a bit too. 
the pride of wanting to be liked, is so strong. What will people think when they see my sin, my weaknesses? But that's our old nature in action, wanting to keep things in the dark. John 3 describes how people refuse even Christ as Savior because they love keeping their thoughts and deeds in darkness. So learn to be transparent. And I'm not saying you have to share all your life with every person you meet, even if you don't know them very well. But the longer we're here at at Timberlake Baptist Church and we're members of this body, we should be transparent because that's how we're going to learn about each other. And we're going to learn how to love one another better. One way that you can be a great friend to others um, is to lead in transparency. Just be open and honest about how the Lord is working in your life. I think many of us can fear that if we do this unprompted, maybe we're just asserting ourselves selfishly or maybe just talking too much about ourselves. I know that I've had this fear at times. But this is something that Christ intends for us to do, is to share testimony openly and freely with one another of what he's doing in our life. Um, and, and just take time still to inquire of the people you're talking with about how Christ is working in their life. And perhaps your, your forwardness with them will encourage them to do the same. So friends must know each other intimately for the bond to grow strong. And I think we all know this, we all see this, but if the church is really the closest family we have, then we must increase our transparency with one another. Next, we have steadfastness. A vibrant friendship will always be marked by steadfastness, and this is displayed by faithfulness and perseverance with someone, no matter what. A steadfast friend is constant and dependable. Christ shows his steadfastness to us in that he's promised to never leave us or forsake us no matter how dark or terrible a trial we face. He will keep us and sustain us, giving us his own strength to lean on. And as I was reminded this morning with Pastor Farrell, um, Romans 8, which says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Christ will be with us every day from here on out unto eternity. And to be like Christ means that we need to be trustworthy, faithful, and enduring alongside our friends, no matter what they're going through. And this will come at a cost to our time, our resources, and great cost to our mental and emotional energies. We might feel like, man, what I'm going through, that's hard enough to deal with, but the weight of someone else's life too. But faith will keep forgetting self, and our friends will have no fear of our forsaking them. And one thing I can tell you is that you'll never be disappointed at the cost of steadfastness because when it's reciprocated in friendships, it's one of the most incredibly unifying and encouraging things there is. A great joy in my life over the past two and a half years has been standing fiery trials side by side with my brothers in the church. When I'm weary and they seem too great to conquer, those brothers have been there to set my eyes on Christ and put my hope in him. When battles with sin seem insurmountable, they provide that exhortation and that constant support that keeps me pressing on. And when I'm struggling just to keep up with the responsibilities of life, they're ready to serve and alleviate those burdens, even when they have duties of their own. 
Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let us learn to be this inseparable, constant friend to others. Every one of us needs this kind of friend to persevere in the Christian life. Also, when we're steadfast, we can take joy in the fact that God is using us as instruments of his keeping power. So, and no matter what, we're suff- what suffering or weight we bear with our friends to be faithful to them, we can enjoy, we will have the joy of reaching eternity together. To apply steadfastness uh, more actively in your life is really simple. It just means be constant. And all these other marks we're talking about, be constant. In the commands of Scripture that involve loving and serving one another, be constant. But while simple, we definitely need Christ's grace and strength to do this, because it's not easy. Maybe identify a person or two in your own life who you can show a more constant presence of friendship. Start spending more time together and care for their soul in the process. And if your job, your classes, um, or maybe your living situation doesn't put you into as natural contact with other members of the church, then make it your mission to serve together with this person who you want to be steadfast with. Do whatever it takes to be steadfast. Now looking to our final two marks of biblical friendship, I want to say that these are crucial to combating sin and maintaining a lasting, enduring friendship. For Mark 6, we have patience. According to Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. In the body of Christ, we'll find our friends in varying spiritual conditions, and as we minister to them, we must develop great patience, recognizing the difficulty and the time that it can take to grow as a Christian. Patience is long-suffering, and it's the quality of a person who lovingly covers your multitude of sins. Christ Christ shows us this kind of patience in saving us. We were sinners who refused to honor him in our hearts, failing to love and to seek him, blaspheming his name. But he chose to be slow to anger and to delay any vindictive actions toward us so that we might be brought to repentance and restoration rather than wrath and judgment. Knowing his patience, we should be able to keep a short account with our friends. And also, not every offense committed by our friends is one that is going to need to be confronted. When a sin is not a pattern, it's a great opportunity to overlook it in love. And sometimes, a person may be in the process of overcoming a pattern sin. Do we need to confront them every time? No. But we absorb that sin and refuse to respond sinfully ourselves, just as Christ has modeled for us. And there's another aspect in which we can model patience in our friendships, and that's by tolerating just our natural human differences um, and those quirks that just tend to rub us the wrong way about someone else. It can be hard for us to understand people who are just wired differently. Um, For me, uh, that can... Or uh, for me, that could look like with something as simple, look like something as simple as people's love for coffee. 
It's hard for me to understand why they care so much about it, why they talk so much about it. And, but uh, impatience, impatience would be exasperated, and I could tune people out whenever they talk about coffee, or I could express genuine interest and try to understand how, why, how and why they enjoy it so much. Another example might be that you're the kind of person who's more laid back, you're methodical, the planning type, so people who just seem to always erupt with energy and joy suddenly or love spontaneity can easily rub you the wrong way. So I'm calling out myself right now, for sure. Um, but how do you respond in your mind? There's no need to be so expressive. They, could just, they just need to calm down. If we're thinking like this, the root is that we think they just need to be more like me, and then I'd be happier with them. But instead, we can pray to the Lord and say, Lord, what a gift it is to be around a friend who's expressed, who expresses himself so differently from me, but still to your glory. Life would be so bland if everyone was like me. Your wisdom and design in making us is matchless. And outside of these moments that are difficult to be patient, I would encourage you to write out reasons to thank God for that person who's different from you, specifically mentioning these differences. And write out how God is giving you opportunities to grow and learn patience. So that's all for patience. So let's look to our seventh and final mark, forgiveness. Just like patience, it's absolutely critical to practice in our friendships. Why? Because on this side of eternity, we can expect to sin against others and be sinned against. But through forgiveness, God's provided us a way for peace, restoration, and unity as we live alongside each other. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul exhorts the church to forsake the futile and darkened ways of their former life that they walked in before Christ. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And then he commands them to put on Christ's forgiveness. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. This is a clear pattern we can apply to our friendships in the body of Christ. And if you're still thinking, are you sure there's no way I can avoid being sinned against in a deep friendship? There isn't. But God intends to console this fear in us by charting a more profound way of life. Through the repeated putting off of anger and bitterness and the proud self-focused heart it comes from, and the putting on of a tender, self-forgetting heart, we have the greatest opportunity to put the gospel on display and to tighten the bonds of our church. And so from here on out, I want you to think of this when someone sins against you. I have the greatest opportunity to display the gospel right now if I forgive them. The longer we maintain friendships in the church, the more opportunities there will be for offense, intentional or unintentional. I'll be honest, during college, many of my relationships were transitory. And that, for me, that made offenses a lot easier to overlook. They just hadn't become that deep. But the deeper we go, the worse it will feel when someone sins against us. And Satan will use this to try to break apart a very good, God-given thing. And for me, two years into marriage and two years into working with a lot of the same people, you see all the flaws that they have, and you get sinned against a lot. 
but I could get hung up on their sin and be bitter and worry about how it affects me, or I could thank God for daily opportunities to pour out the love and mercy he's shown me on those closest to me. When my heart does respond sinfully to the sins of friends, that's a chance for me to go before the Lord and thank him that he's brought more of my sin to light. And in this, he makes forgiveness seem all the more great. His word says that he canceled the record of debt that stood against me, the entire debt, and he set it aside, nailing it to the cross in his son. That's the forgiveness, for all that forgiveness for the love that God has for us. So, without a doubt, forgiveness is crucial for driving our friendships deeper and deeper and for creating lasting, enduring friendships. There's much more that could be said about biblical friendships, and these are just seven qualities that the Lord put on my heart to share with you. My prayer is that a couple of them have stood out to you as areas that you can pursue more intentional growth this semester, and growth, growth that in being the friend to others that you would want them to be for you. So take some time, Think through specific situations that come up in your life that you can be practicing these things. And as you do this, the Lord can use you as an agent of change in your relationships to help cultivate a richer, more vibrant, and lasting body life here in Boundless and in the church. Friendship is both a blessing to give and to receive, and it's worth all the time and effort. And Christ is greatly magnified by it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace towards us and redeeming us, taking us out of darkness and bringing us into the kingdom of your beloved Son, uniting us to him and uniting us in fellowship together and in friendship. Lord, I pray that you would Bind our hearts together as we sacrificially love one another here in Boundless and in the church. And I pray that we would do this intentionally and daily. Lord, I pray that you would ignite our hearts as our friends speak the truth in love to us and confront our sins to help us grow. And Lord, I pray that you would bless our hearts with happiness and joy that comes from developing these friendships, which are such a glorious and gracious gift from you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You guys are dismissed. And let's see, we have plenty of extra time right now. So if you want to hang around and fellowship, enjoy. Yeah, cultivate friendship right now. <laughs>